And welcome to Seeking Truth, where our aim is to seek and defend biblical truth in an age of uncertainty for the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. My name is Julian Hammondry, and today's special episode will briefly cover a couple of popular false gospels which are rampant throughout the church today. The first being the prosperity gospel, and the second being the social justice gospel. We here at the Gospel Truth Society hope to draw your attention to these false gospels, informing you of them, and in hoping that you will do more research for yourself for the understanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. With this in mind, let's dive into the first highlighted false gospel, and that is the prosperity gospel, otherwise known as the Word of Faith movement. And this is a very popular gospel in the church today, especially rampant throughout America. This false gospel is taught by many popular false teachers, such as Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Kenneth Copeland, Joseph Prince, Paula White, Joyce Meyer, and I could go on and on naming men and women who preach this false gospel, but that would take a lot of time. These men and women preach a false gospel that distorts the true gospel message and offends God. They teach that God is a means to health and wealth by twisting scripture and claiming new inspired revelations from God. I've highlighted five of the teachings that this false gospel promotes. Number one, they prohibit God from working on his own and teach that he is not Lord of all because he is reliant upon the believer to allow him to work. This teaches that the ability of God to do his will is reliant upon the will of the believer. This makes all things about us. This makes creation about us. This teaching really points to a false understanding that mankind controls God for its purposes. And according to scripture, that is simply not true. Colossians 1, 16-17 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This shows us that everything is for God, established by God, and held together by God. We cannot control God. Isaiah 45, 6-7 says this, That men may know, from the rising to the setting of the sun, that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. We see here that God has control over our well-being and calamity. We see that there is no other being who has control over these things besides God. We see that God controls all things that are light, darkness, and all things in between them. The God who created all things and controls all things is not reliant upon any man to allow him to work. False teaching number two. The prosperity gospel teaches that the believer uses God to get whatever he or she wants. This is the belief that the Holy Spirit of God is simply a tool to reach a desired end which is not God himself. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a genie in a bottle to be summoned when they desire something. This is in itself idolatry, because they use the Creator as a means to attain the creation. They seek the surplus of riches over the person of God. They come to Jesus as a means to obtain happiness, wealth, health, a good job, a good family, and not for Jesus himself. They value the worth of riches over the worth of Jesus Christ. This belief teaches that the Christian uses God to get a desired goal. However, Scripture teaches us that God saves and uses every believer for his own purposes. 
Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God does what he wants in the believer for his own purpose and his pleasure. 1 Timothy 6, 3-5 says this, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. The followers of this prosperity gospel suppose that piety or godliness is a means simply for personal gain, blaspheming and dishonoring God, tainting his glorious gospel. The third false teaching of the prosperity gospel and word of faith movement is that faith is not a submissive trust in God, but a matter of what we say or what we embrace to be true in our hearts. They believe that faith is not salvific, but is a force to be used by man. Faith is not in God, but instead a force directed at God to manipulate him. For example, if they want God to heal them from sickness or disease, they have to deny medical treatment as a precursor that they will be healed. And if they do accept medical treatment, that is considered not having enough faith, because they are not embracing the reality of their healing. This way of thinking attempts to twist the arm of God into healing them, or providing them with what they want. Even when God has provided for them by means to be treated, they simply ignore it. They use faith to push ignorance in the name of God. And they try to twist the arm of God to accomplish healing, a greater income, a nice car, or anything, you name it. In reality, they teach that faith is a force of manipulation toward God for the accomplishment of their desired goal. Also, they teach that God's ability to bless us is dependent on how great our faith is. They teach that if you do not have enough faith, God will not give you joy, peace, rest, etc. And if God is not directly blessing you, you do not have enough faith, and you need to try harder. This makes the gospel all about how hard you are trying and how much you are displaying faith. This is a works-based theology. This makes someone's faith in God about how hard they are striving and working to have a good life. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is about the finished work of Christ and is based on his finished work. The word of faith and prosperity gospel make it about what you can do to get it done. About what you can do to get that desired goal. But the true gospel is about what has been done on our behalf, and now we can go do. We have been saved by Christ, and now we can go do the good works that God has prepared for us. Jesus even said, you only need faith the size of a mustard seed in Matthew 17. But the false teacher will tell you, you need great and big faith in order to receive God's blessing. The fourth false teaching in the prosperity gospel that I've highlighted is the doctrine of positive confession. This is definitely one of the more rampant teachings of these movements. I see this all the time on social media from Christians, pastors, and even non-Christians. This is the teaching that what you say or speak will happen to you or to those around you. A couple examples of this are naming and claiming it or speaking something into existence. Whether we realize it or not, this type of thinking elevates the one who does it 
into assuming divinity or placing themselves onto the same level as God. And this is blasphemy. God is the only being who has ever spoken things into existence. And we see that in the creation story. God spoke light into existence. He spoke the sun, the stars, the plants, the oceans, the animals, the birds of the air, the creatures of the sea, all into existence by his word. And we see nowhere else in scripture this power being used unless it is by God himself. Only God can create something out of nothing. And we can only make things with what God has already provided. When we say we can claim something, we assume to ourselves divine authority. And when we say we can speak something into existence, we acclaim to ourselves divinity. We spit on the holiness of God because we assume we are sovereign and powerful like He is. And we claim to ourselves Godhood. However, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And we see in Psalm 86.10, For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. We see in Scripture that God is the only God there is. And there is only one God. There are no other gods. Therefore, to claim the authority and power of God goes into direct conflict with the Scripture and blasphemes the name of God. The fifth and probably most heretical blasphemous teaching is little God theology. Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, and Creflo Dollar have all been directly connected with this false teaching. They teach that believers have the same divine DNA and authority that Jesus did. This utter blasphemy is an elevation of mankind to God. They put themselves at the same status of God. They claim to have the same incommunicable attributes of God, such as sovereignty, omniscience, creative power, and omnipotence. When scripture teaches that we can only strive to display the communicable traits of God through Jesus Christ, such as grace, mercy, love, and justice, Kenneth Copeland has said multiple times, when God says in the Bible that I am, I say, I am too. This is evil and wicked, that sinful men would equate themselves with a holy and righteous God. The desire for this theology originates in Genesis 3.5, in the original temptation. And that original temptation was the desire to become like God. And that temptation has not left the scope of temptations, but it has just disguised itself through men twisting the word of God, even as the serpent did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, when he said, Indeed, has God said. The basis for this theology is in the creation story of Genesis 1. They take when God says each kind will produce after its own kind, and twist it when God says we will make man in our likeness. To mean that God created us like him, therefore we are little g gods. However, there is a difference here. When God said that the cattle, birds, fish, and everything else would produce after its own kind, he is talking about the act of procreation. God did not procreate with himself. He crafted Adam with his hands and breathed life into him. They also twist John 10.34, which says, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are God's? And this is a direct quotation of Psalm 82.6, which says, I said, you are God's, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Here in John, the Jews are trying to stone Jesus for claiming to be one with the Father, and that, in essence, is a claim to deity. However, 
it is orthodox that Jesus is divine and God the Son. Little God theology twists this to say we are all little g-gods. Like I said, this is referencing Psalm 82.6, where God is referring to unjust judges as gods. And this is basically an insult from God to these judges because he is so much greater than them. God has put these men in authority and can take them out of that position very easily. God is making fun of these men because they claim to be gods. However, they will pass away and die, and God will remain forever. In John 10, Jesus is making the point that if these rulers which are controlled by God can be called gods with a little g, then surely God the Son can be recognized as God. It's also important to note that in ancient times, pharaohs and kings were thought of like gods. They would force their subjects to worship them. Now, it's important to note concerning the prosperity gospel that Judas was the only disciple concerned with money. And he was the one who betrayed the Son of God, Jesus Christ, with a kiss, offering him up to the Romans for money. Now I have some scriptural references to refute the prosperity gospel and word of faith movement. Matthew 6, 19-20, which says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then continues on later saying, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Also, there is Mark 10, 17-25, Luke 12, 13-15, 1 Timothy 6, 5-11, and Hebrews 13, 5, which says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. There's five ways that I want to show you how the prosperity gospel and word of faith movement rob us. First, it deflects attention onto God's gifts as the main source of our happiness rather than God himself. It promises satisfaction in a source that simply cannot provide it. But those created things are simply meant as a means to point us towards the everlasting source of joy, which is in God through Christ. Number two, the cross itself and its proper function are obscured. They twist the message of the cross from it showing our moral bankruptcy and need for Christ to a message of Jesus died for you because you deserved a better, healthy, and wealthy life. They also try to draw your attention from the sufferings that are promised in the Christian life, which are meant for our sanctification and God's glory. The third way the prosperity gospel robs us is it ignores the profound redemptive historical shift between the Old and New Testament. From a come-see religion to a mainly-go-tell religion, Christianity is now about how Christ has accomplished salvation for us. Now we are to go and do good works because of that. God has blessed us. Now we can go live for him. The prosperity gospel is about doing stuff to get the blessing of God. This is works-based. The prosperity gospel and word of faith movement are works-based ideologies. The fourth way that we see the prosperity gospel robbing us is that love and faith are misconstrued. I've already talked about how faith is misconstrued, but love is also made ugly by the prosperity gospel. They make love very conditional and based upon circumstance. They make the love of God conditional to whether if we are being blessed, he loves us. But if not, he has removed that love from us. However, God's love for all believers is unconditional. He does not remove his love from us, but he goes through our trials with us. He helps us to endure trials. And even if we die, death is gain in Jesus Christ. Even the worst thing that this world could put on us is gain in the Lord Jesus. 
The fifth way that we see the prosperity gospel rob us is the majesty and the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ is obscured if we don't make plain to our people that one of the primary ways Christ is magnified is when we are more satisfied in Him than in the things we are losing. The prosperity gospel makes being satisfied in God based upon the earthly blessing and lack of hardships we have. However, the Bible tells us quite the opposite. We see in Philippians 3.8, that we should count all things as rubbish and loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. And in Philippians 1.21, that we should live for Christ, and that with Him even death is gain. Jesus is to be supremely treasured above all things, and the losing of all things is to be gain because of Him. Now that I've covered a few false teachings of the prosperity gospel, a few scriptures to refute that ideology, and ways that it robs us of the true glory of the gospel. I now want to cover the second false gospel I will talk about today, and that is the social justice gospel. It's also known as the social gospel. The social justice gospel is an earthly idea based upon the kingdom of God. That we as Christians are meant to merely transform the culture of our society by standing against issues of policy and being woke to the realities of those who suffer from systematic oppression, racial oppression, unjust incarceration, violation of human rights as defined by humanity, and so on, which are all side effects of sin in the long run. Standing against injustice as Christians is right because we should have biblically informed conviction regarding governmental and societal policies. However, the social justice gospel emphasizes standing against injustices alone, but in a way that does not offend people and does not teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world, which will fade away and so desperately need salvation from sin. This false gospel shadows the idea of a political savior of a political Messiah that was seen in the New Testament when Jesus came. The Pharisees were preaching that a Messiah would come and deliver them from Roman rule, and that that kingdom would be established on earth and last forever. However, Jesus was a greater deliverer than that. He fulfilled righteousness on behalf of a people that were bankrupt and desolate in the realm of having righteousness. And he died to pay the debt of all who believed in him, Jesus did not come to redeem us from Roman rule. He came to redeem us from sin. Jesus did not come to redeem our societies and governments alone, but he came to redeem his people from the slavery to sin so that we might live to God in Christ. All of these issues of injustice are caused by sin in the world, and we will not eliminate all issues of injustice until the issue of sin is dealt with when Christ returns to judge humanity. And when we strive to simply eliminate these issues of injustice, we are doing an injustice to God. God has promised in Scripture that the wicked will not go unpunished. However, the issue that the social justice gospel raises here is that they keep a message of salvation away from sinful men. What am I saying? The Bible teaches that all men are rebellious, wicked sinners that do not seek God. It is very necessary that we as Christians proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to this broken world. But the social justice gospel is more concerned with rooting out evil based upon their own service and deeds. However, the only way to root out sin in this world is through the works of Jesus Christ 
Only Jesus Christ is sufficient to defeat sin and death. And the thing that the followers of the social justice gospel movement do not understand is that they are making people comfortable in their sin, thus giving them a comfy ride on their way to hell, where they will suffer under the wrath of God forever, unless they have salvation in Jesus Christ. The social justice gospel makes men comfortable in their sin, denying the saving power of the gospel. The injustices of this world are meant to make men uncomfortable in the sinful cesspool that is in the world, pointing them towards an everlasting kingdom that is found in the person of Jesus Christ, not a kingdom of flesh, but a kingdom of spirit. A true Christian's understanding of social justice is different than that of the social justice gospel. A true Christian's understanding of social justice is loving your neighbor as you love yourself, ultimately seeking that they come into salvation in Jesus Christ through preaching of the finished work of Christ, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's also being obedient to God's law because Jesus has fulfilled that law and made us righteous before the Father. He has redeemed us from our sin and propitiated us unto righteousness before the Father. And we are also to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to do, namely being suffering servants as Jesus has and loving the world. Thank you for joining me today on Seeking Truth. I hope this has been helpful, enlightening, and convicting to you all. I urge you that if you follow either of these teachings or any false gospel to repent of them because they are so offensive to God and they are dishonoring to Him. And God is the only source of eternal satisfaction through Jesus Christ. If you listen, read, or follow any teachers who would preach or support false gospels, or you attend a church that does, as the Bible says in Galatians 1.8, let them be accursed. I would urge you to stop going to that church or to stop following those teachers. Get plugged into a church that preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ and gives the full counsel of the scriptures. You should also listen to teachers who point you to the everlasting source of joy, which is in Christ Jesus. And they should do that through the scriptures. These false gospels promise happiness and welfare, but are sources which are insufficient to do this. Only Jesus can save, and only Jesus can satisfy. These false gospels may keep you going for a while, and may numb the pain, but in the long run, they will only lead to more disappointment, and ultimately to death. Christ alone is the hope for a sinful humanity. Thanks for joining me today on Seeking Truth. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you were blessed by it. My name is Julian Hammontree, and I'm signing off.